Hour of Devastation is a fan-supported, listener-supported podcast, supported by people just like you. If you like what you hear and want to show your support, head over to patreon.com slash hour of devastation. A pledge to start from as little as $1. Thanks. Welcome to Hour of Devastation, a weekly Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk all things Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Joe Loudon, and with me as always is Sam Neill. Hiya. How are you doing this week, Sam? I'm not too bad. Nice. I spent all of Saturday playing Magic. Uh, cool. Same here, I think. So that was that was very, very good. There was a, a modern winner box, and I went 3-1. Nice. It's not bad. With Infect. Not bad at all. Yeah. Um, only nine people showed up, <laughs> which isn't which isn't great. But, um, yeah, I, I top four to the 3-1, obviously. Yeah. That's, that's pretty um, impressive. Yeah, I got to open 10 booster packs. <laughs> nice. I mean, I could have taken the credit, which would have made a lot more sense, but um, I'd taken store credit, but I decided to open 10 booster packs and opened not that much. Uh, and then after that, I played two of the worst games of EDH I've ever played in my life. It was truly, truly awful. Uh, and then I played Legacy for about two hours. Sweet. No, that sounds so that great. Was, that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then any time I spent not doing that, I was playing Pioneer on uh, Magic Online. Sweet. Which is basically all I've been doing as well, which has been very good fun. I've still yet to play any Pioneer on Magic Online. Um, I probably should just just should, but yeah, definitely. I don't know. I just I don't know why I haven't got around to it yet. Um, just get a Mana Traders account and just yeah. put some stuff in there. Yeah, I need to just just do it, just sort it out and do it. I've been playing a bit in paper though, so that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean I've yet to play a single game of Paper Pioneer. <laughs> Um, but I've played I don't know hundreds of games on uh, on Magic Online. Nice. You can still build a you can still build a few decent decks with uh, 100 ticks. Yeah, you can play blue blue white control, and as long as oh, you sweet. don't play Teferi Time Raveler because that's like 60 ticks. Yeah, um, <laughs> you can still build a, re- a reasonable deck. I feel like you need to be playing Teferi Time Raveler though. No, I definitely I've definitely won a lot of games without playing it. Um, and people still get really salty whenever you count spells. Yeah. So one player saw a sensor out of me, so they spent the next game playing around sensor and then conceded as soon as I uh, absorbed one of their spells. Nice. That was really good fun. <laughs> Maybe they just thought you were playing Teferi and didn't want to play against it. I mean, that's possible. Like, I did have someone who, game two, after, uh, like, I think it was like a 20 minute game one, where I didn't play a Teferi Time Raveler. The first thing they did in game two, in game two was play a pithy needle naming Teferi Time Raveler. I was like, oh, that, feels, that, <laughs> yeah. that feels very good for me. It's because it's just a four of like any of the blue white decks, so I, I don't blame them for doing that. To be honest, yeah, just I'm I'm not playing it, so it's like free equity for me, I guess. Yeah, I'm still playing big Teferi, and that card's still incredibly obnoxious. Yeah, mm. I mean, I don't think it's as bad as as three mana Teferi, though. To be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely not. I agree. Every time I played against Time Raveler, it's been miserable. Um, but I don't think you need it to play games. Like your deck isn't like you know horribly worse because you're not playing Time Raveler. I don't think. I guess it depends. Depends which, I guess, which style of blue white control deck you're playing. Probably uh, Supreme Verdict and Sphinx's Rev dot deck. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, sure, but Teferi makes those cards a lot better. Um and it's like what's what's your win con? Like are you playing are you playing approach or are you just playing control cards? So uh, I played playing the, like um, spell quellers. I th- I think Teferi just makes makes that archetype a lot better. So I was playing the the Fay of Wishes approach deck for a while. Uh didn't enjoy that. I should say that all again because of a train that I couldn't hear. I've been playing the Fae of Wishes approach deck for a, a few games. Didn't enjoy that at all. Um, and then I was playing the Elixir Mortality version where I just felt like I couldn't lose a game. See, I'm, I'm playing all of those cards in my build. <laughs> sure. And then, <laughs> just like a Teferi version that my win condition is like uh, either Elixir, milling them out, or yeah. the um, just playing like an Elspeth Sun's Champion. Yeah. 
and just that's my only win condition or just hope that my opponent concedes because they're too bored <laughs> <laughs> from playing it's like mono counter spells and sphinx's reps nice yeah um but that's been really good fun and Sweet. i'm looking forward to playing some paper pioneer at some point but yeah, i know a lot great. of people yeah i know a lot of people are sort of hesitant to pick up cards in paper currently because of the uh potential fluctuations in the ban list yeah which is which is very reasonable um and i guess i think yeah. i think it's reasonable but i also think it's fine just to like to pick things up if, if you're if you're playing if you are playing regularly in paper and also like if you know what you're getting yourself in for i think if you like if you're picking up stuff like you, you should be picking up stuff like thought season abrupt decay now and like assassin's trophy and stuff now like anything mm. that is probably just like a fair format staple but there, there's definitely a few cards that I wouldn't feel great. About. I mean, I don't know. So I, I bought Dig Through Times um, last week because I didn't have any. Mm. Uh, and I know what I'm doing buying those cards because yeah. I'm fairly certain they'll be banned at some point. Yeah, I uh, think... Probably fairly soon. I think the thing is, but, like, because we're currently, like, as we're recording, waiting for a ban list update. Yeah, it is. It's Monday evening, so that means Wizards of the Coast are at lunch. Yeah, it does. <laughs> they love to eat lunch on a Monday. But the um, and we've we've had uh, a tweet from Aaron Forsyth saying that the the announcement will be three p.m. their time, which yeah. leaves it to be about eleven p.m. our time. <laughs> and I don't really want a recording that late. So, I mean, to be fair, I'm assuming at this point that nothing is going to get touched since we had quite the shakeup last week. But if something does, yeah. then we'll, you know, we'll find a way to put it into the podcast. Um, but I think the thing is, like, unless you're buying the cards that are, like, um, like, Day Through Times, which still aren't that expensive, or, like, Smuggler's Copter, which still isn't that expensive, and, like, Nykthos, which has applications in EDH, so the price is pretty safe on that. Like, yeah. these cards aren't going to get any cheaper. So if you wait till January till the format's more stable and has more of established metagame, the cards are still be more expensive than they are now. So like I don't I, I don't mind like taking the risk on certain cards because the cards that are potentially gonna get banned are like ready for the chopping block are fairly apparent at this point. There's no gonna be like a surprise yeah, bands of cards so. you're invested in. You know what you're doing if you get into them, you don't have to buy those ones. And like buying random other stuff to like have a playable deck and maybe borrowing the other cards or like Buying cards might get banned that are still staples in other formats. Like, I think it's fine. Teferi, for example. Exactly. I think, like, Teferi Time Raveler, I think, is fine. Um, I mean, like, so currently, I think if you can pick up Teferi Time Raveler at around £15, I think in the long run, you come out fine. I think that's, you know, when all said and done, that's kind of where that, that card will, will settle eventually. Yeah, like, the prices don't get cheaper from here. They get more, they increase. Yeah. Like, and I know, I understand, like, waiting on it and not buying into the hype and stuff, but. They don't fall that hard. Yeah. Like I don't think unless unless there's a reprint, and you know, we're all we're all at risk of reprints at all times with most cards, Thoughtseize doesn't get cheaper than this. Like it's not gonna suddenly stop being a format staple in a bunch of formats and go down in price because of that. Yeah. So I understand the trepidation of like not wanting to buy into hype, but also waiting until January, the cards are just gonna be like at least twenty five percent more expensive than they are now. Yeah, definitely. Especially once you have like you know, GPs and Mythic Championship in that in that format. Absolutely, and the, the prices are being affected on, on an almost daily basis with all the tournaments going on. You've got the challenges and the PTQs and and what have you. Like the prices are going up every day. Yeah, like there are cards that like like I've been experiencing with um, renting on Mana Traders with a hundred ticks. Like there are decks that I played yesterday that I can no longer play because everything's gone up slightly. And I know that's ticks and it's online prices rather than card prices, but it's on cards like Jace Architect of Thought and Elspeth and stuff. Yeah. That aren't like it's not like Stefari's fifty dollars and Oko's like uh, fifty ticks, sixty ticks, and like Oko's like I don't know, like a hundred ticks or something stupid. Yeah, like those cards. Like I understand those ones fluctuating massively because since Arena came out, standard cards haven't been opened that much on Magic Online. Yeah, whereas there's a crap load of Jace Architect of Thought, and that card still keeps going up. It just shows that there's just such a demand for the format at the moment. Oh, there really is really yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are really excited about it, and it's it's what I've been doing most of my talking about. And I mean, it's just it's the new, it's the new format, and I think yeah. I think I do want to touch on its position in the context of all the formats a little later on. But before that, since we went massively on a tangent, <laughs> how how has your week been? Yeah, it's been good. Um, played a surprising amount of arena once again. Still don't know why. 
<laughs> just play, uh, ma- just play magic online. It's so much better. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but like, since I feel like so many people have stopped playing arena, and uh, Esper deck is is reasonably like reasonably all right against the the Oko decks. I think I'm in an okay position currently. An OKO position. And yeah, exactly <laughs> that one. <laughs> and it's it's just the ease. Like it's very easy just to sit on arena and just just you know boot it up and off we go. So yeah, I've been playing that, and then I did a, a Dominario draft on Saturday. Excellent, a relevant format to be playing and to discuss on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the stores locally had a box of Dominaria left over. Mm-hmm. Then we're like, oh, we're going to run a draft. I was like, okay, sick, great. <laughs> Sign me up for that. I'll, I'll play in that, no matter what it costs. Uh, it was it had been advertised at like £5 originally, but it turns out it was a typo and it was £15. Yeah, £5 for any draft seems very, very good. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Especially like one of, if not the best draft formats in the past ten years. Yep. So yeah, I figured like regardless of what the price is, I'll, I'll I'll go play in that, and it was really fun, and I won the draft. Nice. Yeah. Sick rags. What did you play? It was sweet. So I played um, Jeskai Wizards. Cool. So I was was trying to force a blue red Wizards deck, and then I got past some like decent white cards. I got past a rough Capuchin. I got past a couple of sealer ways. Uh, I got past a Joda Archmage Eternal as well, and was like, oh well, I guess I'm just playing Jeskai Wizards. I mean, yeah, that, that would the be ex- a good choice. Yeah, I think the, the card that performed probably the best for me was uh, was Sorcerer's Wand. Ended up with, with two of them, and uh, yeah, I had one game where I managed to stabilise on one life, and just was <laughs> pinging my opponent for two in their end step every turn, and got there. <laughs> nice. <It was> great. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't know how I felt about that card when it was actually like when that was the actual draft format. I think it was the kind of card that required like a few more weeks of playing with to understand how good it actually was. Yeah, I think if you had enough wizards, it was it was fine. But I don't know, it worked well for me, so I'm, I'm happy with that. I mean, clearly, it also yeah. synergized really nicely with the um, the Antiquities War that I had in my deck as well, and also had a Zahid Jin of the Lamp. So I figured it, it's pretty good with that in the deck too because it makes Zahid cost four instead of six. That's also pretty good. Yeah, it was just it was just all around good. I drafted a fantastic deck, and I really missed that format. I, I think I'm probably going to buy a few boxes of Dominaria. Yeah, you should save one for a GP, and we should do yeah. a Dominaria draft, and that would be great. Definitely, that's definitely I'd be very into that. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've only got like one and a half boxes of it currently, but uh, I sold some comics recently on eBay, so I've, I've got a little bit of money saved up. So I was thinking about putting it into Modern Horizons boxes, but I kind of just want to buy like a case of Dominaria instead now. Just a draft. Just a draft, yeah. Oh, man, you're gonna lose so much money. It'll be yeah, it'll be so much fun though. In like five years' time, we run a bunch of Dominaria drafts. It'll be great. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, get get a box so we can set up a draft at the next GP, which is in what like July. Seven months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Save it for that. Oh my God. <laughs> or maybe organize <laughs> organize one between now and then. Yeah, I'll be up for Dark Draft in I think yeah, that's definitely. probably my favourite format. My favourite draft format. It might be my favourite draft format I've ever played, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it's been great. Speaking of draft formats, we finally got to find out what's in those mystery boosters uh, at the weekend. So it was Magic Fest Richmond, GP Richmond... Mythic Championship Richmond? It was All of the above? A magic event happening at Richmond, and one of yeah. the things that happened at that time was a mystery booster draft. Draft? Sealed. It was. Sealed. Yeah, sealed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we finally got to see what was in these, these mystery boosters, and there's been a bit of a mixed reaction. Um, some some people were just... so. I mean, I, t- I talk about a lot on this podcast and in general life about how entitled magic players are. But there was at least a couple people that just demanded their money back, which yeah, is the most I, bizarre thing to do. I I definitely saw some stories of of, um, of a couple of players asking to drop from the pod and get a refund and give their product back. Great. Okay. Congratulations. Quite, you get to go quite bizarre. play Magic. Like, I, I understand like something not being what you want it to be. Yeah. But to do that, you you willingly signed up for something with mystery in the name. And then, I mean, spoiler alert, I think it's a really cool product, but you then got to play something that, you know, is cool and 
then you were like, oh no, this isn't for me, which is fine. Not all magic yeah. products are for everyone, and I can understand why this specifically wouldn't be for everyone. But you then demanded your money back and gave the product back. Like, no. <laughs> Just take your cards and do your sealed event. It's still a, it's still a sealed event. It's still fun. You still get to play some magic. I just some of the reactions to it have been wild. Yeah, so I I've certainly had some mixed feelings about it myself and I think if if I had played in that in that particular event, I think I would have been a bit disappointed. Um given that it was $75 for that one that was streamed that first one. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I think I understand if that. I'd paid $75 for it, I think I would have been a bit disappointed, but I don't think I would have asked to drop from the draft and have a refund. Yeah, don't enter into a format you don't know and expect and then get disappointed with what happens. I think yeah. that's the that's the thing. <sighs> Magic players. So yeah, we, we we finally got to see what it was and it's it's a bit of an odd one. It is very odd, yeah. Yeah, so Channel Fireball sort of streamed uh somebody opening their packs in the in the event and right from the from the get go it was it was quite odd because the first card in the pack is, I guess it's a, it's a playtest card, but it's not really a playtest card. It's kind of like a, like a like a mock up of a, of what a playtest card looks like stuck to a card. Yeah, my my understanding is that they got a bunch of people in Wizards R and D or just people that work for Wizards to like design cards, and yeah. they're intentionally wacky, seem kind of silver bordered, kind of future sight ish in that they have weird mechanics that would obviously never... Like, they're cool mechanics and they, they work quite well, but obviously never, mechanics they would never put on a blackboarded card. So, some of them... Some of them are actual playtest cards from the past. Yes. And some of them have been... Well, some of them are potential uh, playtest designs for the future, and then some of them have been designed specifically for this this product. Yeah. And, I mean, we could go through all of them, but there's a there's 121 of them. Yeah, there's there's too many to actually go through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but they're really cool. I don't think I'd want to play with any of them ever. I mean, there's a yeah. couple that, like, some of them seem very much like actual magic cards, but there's some of them that are just, like, so... <sighs> I hate the word wacky, but they're so wacky that they're just they're yeah. some fun to play. I fully agree there. So I... I think the, my, my sort of thoughts on the whole thing is that I, I love... Chaos Draft. I absolutely love Chaos Draft. I love Silver Border Magic. Like unsets are fantastic. They're you know some of my favourite sets. Some of my favourite just magic experiences have been playing unsets. Mm-hmm. But I don't want the two of them together. Um in yeah. the same set. And like I, I, I very much understand that these these playtest cards do work within, you know, the rules of, of Black Bordered Magic and they you know they they function fairly well as legal magic cards but they do seem they do seem to share that space that silver border magic space so i've been trying to think of like a like like a food analogy to compare the two of them um, <laughs> okay sure <laughs> my problem is like any food combination that i've thought of just sounds like fine to me so i guess i'm just going to go with like chalk and cheese like they're great individually but by themselves you you wouldn't want to eat that sorry hang on you're thinking of a food analogy, yeah, and you came up with chalk and cheese. Well, I was think I was th- I was thinking like, you know, it's like, like, uh, I don't know, like peanut butter and pizza. They're great individually, but you don't want them together. And then I was like, well, actually, maybe I do want them together. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want them together. That sounds amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you came up. So what you came up with was a very well-known saying and turn of phrase: chalk and cheese, <laughs> which is, I mean, apt. I understand your point, but. You also said that they're fine individually as if they're both foods. Joe, do you eat chalk? Uh, when you have like acid reflux, yeah, you should eat chalk. <laughs> yeah, you eat like magnesium, like you, like the little things. Like you don't actually just eat chalk. I don't personally, but <laughs> you, you absolutely can. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can eat chalk, and it will it will stop heartburn and acid reflux. For sure. <laughs> that is a, that is a thing you can do. I don't recommend you do that. Like raw chalk from the ground, or like the coloured chalk you used to write on blackboards, or I don't know because I don't do it myself. But <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a but, but not, so, not so, connoisseur. So what I, I think what what I was trying to say was like 
I was trying to think of a food analogy, but couldn't come up with a food analogy. So here's a different analogy that works. It's not food based. It's 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 you know well established phrase chalk and cheese. Man, cheese is a food based. Cheese is a food. So it's a food based analogy. It's well, it's a food simile. Partially. It's like chalk and cheese. <laughs> That's a food. <laughs> God damn it. You know what I meant. Stop trying yeah. to derail it. <laughs> I've spent the last two minutes trying to derail this. So I just thought I'd point it out. You you eat chalk and you also don't think cheese is a food. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> um, but yes, with all that being said, I think we haven't actually mentioned what the rest of the set is. Yeah, so the rest is... It's it's kind of like a master set by, by a different name, really. So it's it's a reprint draft set, but it's, it's a strange one. So that they've... They've pulled cards from all over the place. Uh, I think there's... We've had an article about it today. There's uh, 1,694 reprints all throughout the game's history. So it's it's the largest set that they've ever had by quite a large margin. Yep. So it's, it's not just something like Modern Masters where it's like, oh, only the cards in the Modern Card Pool or Eternal Masters, which was, was trying to reprint sort of Legacy and Commander Staples. It's just like they've, they've pulled cards from everywhere, really, and... I think this is probably the closest we'll ever get to, like a, and like an official Magic Cube product, really. Yeah, um, I mean it's hard to actually break down the entire set, and I think we would be wasting a lot of valuable podcast time if we went into specifics on everything. But it's essentially the, the thing. So there's what like sixteen hundred ish cards. Yeah, there's yeah, one thousand six hundred and ninety-four cards. Yeah, which means that essentially you could do an eight-person draft and never see the same card twice. Yeah. So it's very much like a cube, very much like a chaos draft where you get random boosters, where you never see the same card card twice. Um, some of the cards in there are great. Some of the cards in there are not great. Some of the cards in there are too good, <laughs> but the chances of getting them are very very low. I know I saw. I can't remember who posted it on Twitter, but I think it was Ryan Overturf had a deck with two Sol Rings in it. Yeah. Because Sol Rings yeah, are cards you can open. I've seen more than one deck with, with two Sol Rings. Which is absurd. And, like, the, the so the breakdown, so there's not, like, so in a Master Set or just in a General Set, you'd have cards that are commons, cards that are uncommons, cards that are rares, cards that are mythics. And the Mystery Booster does have all of those things, but they yeah. are at the original rarity because they all they're all originally printed on the the it looks exactly like the card as it was so if there's a card from I can't remember how far they go back but if there's a card from card from like I don't know onslaught I think the the oldest the frames go back are um, mirage sure so there's a card from mirage it looks exactly like that it's the exact same card the same border the same set symbol even the same year it's all copyright I don't know where mirage is from it'll say copyright 95 or whatever um 96, I think, Mirage, yeah. Sure. It'll say copyright 1996, Wizards of the Coast, but it'll have a tiny little Planeswalker magic symbol in the bottom left corner to denote that it's from this set. But everything else about the card looks like it's from the original set. Yeah. There's cards from all of Magic History. There is a breakdown of the way that the boosters are um, uh, collated. So you get... So it's not just like a, a rarity thing. You don't get like... 10 rares, 3 uncommons, uh, rare in a basic land or whatever. 11 yeah, commons. they're, they're the, the sort of strangest boosters I've, I've ever seen, I think, really. So you've got uh, one, at least in the convention version of the of the, the set, you've got one playtest card, then you've got two commons or uncommons of each colour, and then you've got one multicoloured card, one artefact or land, one old card frame, uh, and then one rare from M15 forwards. Yeah, so that can span any card at that rarity. Yeah. It can and it, in the like the artifact slot, it can span any any card, literally yeah. any card. And for each each of those slots, there's what like two hundred ish cards. Yeah, I th- think there's a hundred and twenty one. Oh, it's one hundred twenty one. So much less than two hundred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> per per slot. So in an artifact yeah. slot, you can get a soul ring, which is uh, technically an uncommon. Or you can get I don't know if it's in the set, but you can get something like a bone splitter, which is a common and not very good. Or you can get a mana crypt, which is a mythic. Yeah. Which from uh, it'll be the the Eternal Masters printing of it, but you can get all those cards, and those cards are better or worse than each other, and obviously more valuable than each other. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. So like the chances, so like it's been 
So people are like, oh, this will affect the price. Like, this won't actually affect the price that much because there's not like a, it's not like you have a chance of opening in your rare slot a mana crypt out of, say, 70 rares and mythics or whatever the average yeah. is for a set, like a, a master set. You're opening a mana crypt in, there's one artifact slot, right? It's artifact or land. So sure. you could open you could open a mana crypt in that slot, or it could also be an Alimer, or it could also be an Ether Hub. In that slot there's so is it lands, both lands and artifacts combined is 121 or whatever. I think it's 121. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure on the specific number. So yeah. Yeah, instead of opening a one out of seventy and getting it as a mythic, and whatever the rarity is on that is it's it's one out of 121. Yeah. So you've got as much chance of opening a bone splitter. I, again, I don't know if it's in the set, but you've got as much chance of opening a Bone Splitter as you have a Mana Crypt. Yeah. Whereas in a Master set where Bone Splitter, I'm, I don't know why I'm focusing on Bone Splitter so much, but <laughs> Bone Splitter and Mana Crypt are in the same Master set, for example, you have a much higher chance of opening a, a Bone Splitter than you do a Mana Crypt. Yeah. Um, the same is true. I know you were <laughs> quite because of the fact, the fact that like Sol Ring is is you know in this set this thing as well. The uh, Demonic Tutor yes. is in is in the common and common black card slot. Right? Uh, yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, which is ridiculous. When you think about it, considering it was a rare in Ultimate Masters. Yeah. So the fact that it's uncommon suggests that it, you can, you're can you far more likely to open it in this set than you would be in, in Ultimate Masters. But obviously you have... So there are two of those slots. So you have a two in 121 chance. We're just going to run with that number. If it turns out wrong, whatever. You have a two in 120 chance as opposed to like a one in... 50 or 70 chance that you did yeah. in it's like it's not quite the same it's roughly the same but it's not they're not like rares like you have a chance of opening any ridiculous mythic or expensive card in that set or really good card for your draft for your draft or sealed yeah. deck as you do literally any other card in the set yeah absolutely and i've been looking at sort of breakdowns from from people and it looks like it given that it's, it's a 15 card card booster and the way all the cards line up that is there's the possibility of opening packs which contain like 13 rares or 13 sort of equivalent rares if you take like demonic tutor to be a rare if you take like whatever other uncommon to be a rare yeah so like they're not like normal boosters they're like a cube where you can just open things from all over magic and all over rarity so in terms of there's been a lot of discussion about like values of these cards and and how it's going to affect prices and stuff like i don't think it's going to affect the price like meaningfully at all like yeah. i don't think the fact that mana crypt is in the set is going to budge the price on mana crypt at all there's an interesting discussion and i'm not sure i still haven't like fully it's been like um it's been a good few days now since this obviously this all these cards came out and i still haven't properly formulated my take on this but like i think the mana crypt so mana crypt looks exactly like a mana crypt from uh, eternal masters yeah. it has 2016 written on it it has exactly the same set number out of a certain number of cards it's exactly the same apart from the tiny little planeswalker symbol in the bottom left and i think that adds a small premium to it compared to uh, to the one it adds a small premium to the one from mystery booster compared to the one from ema because it has that little symbol on it because it's provably from that set and it's more it's slightly more rare in the mystery booster than it is in the ema one but obviously the fact that it, it's yeah i i don't know i i think i think i think at this point it just comes down to personal personal preference yeah yeah that's the thing like i haven't probably formulated that take i think there's a small chance it adds a premium but whether it does or not like sure but it, it won't meaningfully affect the price because it's it, you have the chance of opening that it's one out of 121 right yeah and we don't know how many of these boosters there's going to be yeah like you have such a minimal chance of opening it compared to you had a slightly bigger chance in ema yeah it depends how many of these boosters there are it depends how many drafts there are it depends how many how much of this product is opened so i don't think it meaningfully affects the price that much yeah, I don't know. I think there's, there's just a lot of unknowns at the moment. Yeah, so sure. I, I was reading a, a really good thread from, from hashtag MTG Finant, uh, James Chilcott, who uh, he's 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 put it quite well. He says, uh, the best way to think of mystery boosters is that they reprinted 1,694 cards as mythics. Each slot has an equal chance at 121 cards from a unique print sheet. Mythic card to find a specific card, but every slot is mythic. This yes. means that for every 100k packs we open, we are adding approximately 826 copies of any card from the set to the market, and many of those copies are being opened within 30 feet of a buy list slash buyer because distribution is at events slash stores. As such, the impact will be higher on mythics, same rarity as usual, than it will be on rares, uncommons and commons, which will make their way into the market at much lower rates than they normally would via most of a set-based 
based reprint vehicles. Ultimately, we need to know two things now. Uh, a, how many packs will be opened, and B, how long it will be before a given card is replaced and the rotating lineup of cards that can appear in these boosters. Also, how long will mystery boosters be a thing? Yeah, so, I don't know, because stuff with the master sets, they were opened, apart from, like, iconic masters, <laughs> um, they were opened, <laughs> like, aggressively by people and by stores, right? Because they had yeah. a lot of desirable reprints. There aren't that many desirable reprints in this. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think there's like the cards I've been excited by, like, and I think you 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 know how many cards there are that are actually worth opening, right? So there, are, well, again, we don't know what the price is going to be, but uh, MTG stocks have, have a list of every card in the set up currently, and currently based on the current card prices, there are ninety seven cards over five dollars. Ninety seven. I'm, I'm cards. hoping. I'm hope. Yeah, ninety seven cards over five dollars in the set, and that's out of sixteen hundred ish. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, that's not a lot. No. There's not a lot of desirable cards. This is very much a product that's been designed to be played rather than to be collected or to be opened. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, I just wanted to, you know, a small take on finance because I've seen a lot of discussion about it. I'm not really sure how it goes, but I don't think these cards are going to meaningfully reduce the price. Say, say like, in the same way that printing, like, an Oracle Little Diet in a Commander set... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, definitely. ...meaningfully affects the price. This might budget by, like, 5-10%, and then it'll just go right back up. Yeah. Whereas, like, when the fetch lands were printed in Modern Masters 3, they went down a considerable amount and then went right back up to higher than they were before. Yeah. This will budget slightly. It's my, my opinion, anyway, but I don't think they will affect it that much. Especially given that every card's, like, is exactly as rare as the next because of the every slot has its own print sheet, which is, which is ridiculous. And, like, we should discuss how excellent that is as a design for a set and how exciting it is. And I think just generally... Uh, as a product that I want to enter an event for, just like the fact that they've got, you know, a 1600 card set that every card slot has its own sheet is great. Like, it's it's an excellent, like, it's just a, such a, a cool way to design a set. And the fact that they also managed to keep it entirely under wraps for so long, um, and the fact that still, even four or five days out, we still don't know everything about the set and there's still information to be found out. I just think it's it's a really cool design. I, I think it's an excellent magic product. Just generally, it's, I think it's a great a great magic product, especially for the people that want it, because Chaos Drafts are more difficult to do than they used to be. Yeah. Um, finding, because when people do a Chaos Draft, they, there's always that little bit, you're like, okay, I want like an Urza's Saga booster or something stupid. Like I want like an old booster that I can possibly get value from and like, it's cool. But uh, most of the time, the oldest booster pack you're going to get in a Chaos Draft is like Return to Ravnica, probably. Maybe Innistrad if you're lucky. Yeah, I feel like when you go to when you go to GPs now and, and draft at a, I guess, Magic Fest, when you draft at a Magic Fest now, it's very, very different. Uh, if you compare it to like what it used to be like when I when I first did Chaos Drafts at Magic Fests. Yeah. Uh, like so like the I remember the first one that I, I really remember doing had like there was a, a pack of onslaught in there, there was um there was like Champions and Kamigawa, there was Mirrodin, there was there was all sorts, just absolutely all sorts of different different packs and the, the first prize in, in each pool was a revised booster. Oh, amazing. And that's that's just yeah, compare that to like the the most recent one I did where I think like the oldest pack was like a gate crash booster or something. Yeah, exactly. Granted there were a couple of modern masters or masters style boosters in there, but it just it was nowhere near as exciting or as, you know, hashtag spicy, I guess, is, is what <laughs> they used to be like. Yeah, whereas Wizards here have managed to create a product that really emulates a chaos draft where you get like yeah. most people will be playing like the pod will have a sing it'll be a singleton pod basically like the pool will probably have almost entirely singleton cards in it similar to a cube or a chaos draft and they've managed to recreate that in a booster product that you can just go to lgs and draft yeah which is which is really really cool there is a difference between the lgs version and the what is termed the convention version there is yeah there's, i guess that there's two two big differences really yeah so the playtest cards will not be in them yeah in, in the in the lgs ones which which is good i think because i really didn't want to play with those cards they're cool yeah, I yeah i think so they're a fun thing and i enjoyed seeing them and I, I enjoyed like seeing funny cards or cool cards or like you know and the art on them is really funny but i didn't really want to play with them when i if i'm playing yeah like, like you said like you were saying before with your chalk and cheese nonsense when i play a certain type of magic i want to play a certain type of magic i don't want to play blackboarded sealed with an unset like in the same way i don't want to play legacy in commander you know like yeah for sure so I think that's cool. And then another difference is another difference is that so instead of the uh, of the playtest cards, they are going to have foil cards. Yes, and they are foil cards that do not currently appear in the known set. Yeah. So there's 121 foil cards, uh, and not a single one of those 
or in the 1,694 cards that are printed within the set itself. So no foil mana crypt? Uh, yeah, no foil mana crypt, uh, no foil Anamatu's augury. <laughs> well, that one doesn't exist in foil. This is the interesting thing about the foils. Yeah. It's that they've been, again, like it's, it's a sweet product that we, st- we still don't know everything about it, even though the set's technically been opened because this is a different version. Um, we don't know whether the foils are cards that have been foiled. I'm sure by the time that this podcast goes up, we will all, we will know this information. But at the time of recording, we don't know whether they are the foil cards are cards we've seen before in foil, whether they're cards that are new to be foil, whether it's a mixture of the two. So we don't know whether you can get like a foil Amanatu's Augury, which is a commander card, whether they'll be reprinting that with the same border and the same set symbol, but in foil, whether they'll have their own special set symbol for these foils that are exclusive to mystery, to mystery boosters, whether it's just like cards that don't exist in foil that we want in foil, stuff like... Um, nature's law stuff like that that doesn't currently exist in foil but commanders commander players want them or whether it's just going to be like oh you can get like a foil I don't know pony bat brigade because that exists in foil and it's just a foil you can get in the set yeah I would assume I would assume it's going to be more along the lines of that like cards that just already exist already exist in foil yeah because like you can't like I don't know because the commander cards that are in there they don't exist in foil so printing a foil version of them would be strange but I mean I hope I hope they do that some That's of them hope. some of them do I th- I, th- I think commander cards I mean Teferi's did Teferi's protection have a judge promo yeah yeah if they're outside of judge yeah. promos so like they could put a Teferi's protection in there again I, I don't know if Teferi's protection is actually in the set like the commander it version. is yeah oh okay so they won't, that won't be one. But they could print, like, I don't know, like, the, the Judge Foil, Chalice of the Void, for example. They could print that, I guess, because it's existed as a foil as a Judge promo. Yeah. Or they could print, like, a Mirrodin Chalice of the Void as a foil. I don't know. So, we'll wait and see on that. But I think, yeah, just this whole set seems like a slam dunk. Whether you want to draft it or not, I think it's a cool feat of card gaming engineering, you know? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Now, let's briefly touch on whether we actually want to play it. <laughs> do, you, do you want to play it? Uh, I want to draft it at a convention once, uh, and then draft it as many times as I can in a store, as long as it's a decent price, I think is uh yes is where I've settled on it. Yes, that makes sense. I I think I agree. I'd like to draft it if it's a reasonable price. Because the thing is like I'm willing to pay um a premium on a master style set. Yeah. Or a modern horizons because the chance of opening something valuable is very high as well as it being a good draft format. Whereas if it's just like I'm probably not gonna get any value out of this, regardless of how good the format is, then I don't want to be paying like, you know, thirty pounds for a draft. Even yeah. if there's a chance of me opening a Mana Crypt or whatever any of these foils might be or whatever, because the chance is so low. Whereas if you draft Modern Horizons, like there's a chance of opening something that's worth your draft. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm happy to pay a premium on that. But yeah, I'd, I'd be excited to draft this at least at least a couple of times, I think, if I can. Yeah, definitely. And there are some 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 fantastic cards in there. Definitely, definitely some cards that do need a reprint. Um, I think we're just going to need information on how much it's going to cost before. I can yeah. really make a decision of whether or not I want to. I want to draft this. I mean, I know we we have prices for for like GPS. It's like twenty five dollars for GPS in America to draft it, which I feel like is probably fine given a lot of the stuff that's in here. But I I just don't know. And I think a lot of that is just down to the fact that we've never had a product like this before. Yeah, it's really hard to evaluate without you know it actually being out. And it doesn't come out in LGS until March. Yeah. So it's a long way out yet. Yeah. Also, like, there's no way. To it's so like most draft formats are figured out fairly quickly, between like yep. you know limited resources and pro magic players and like events being on and coverage of GPs whenever they happen. Formats get figured out and you can find out what like the correct pick is in a certain way. But like you could draft this three times and never see the same card twice. Yeah. So, I mean, the draft seems kind of skewed, and the fact that you can have two Sorings in a deck and then some of it could just be like draft chaff. But like, there's no way to like. I mean, there probably is at some point, but there's. It's going to take a while for anyone to solve this format because the chances of you be like, oh, it's it, like this is the best card in the set. It's like you never see it ever. So yeah. like it's probably going to be different every time, like a chaos draft, like a like a cube. I th- yeah, I think so. I, I think I think it is the closest thing that we we'll ever get to to a cube, really, or to like a like a complete cube experience. Yes, yes, I agree. Cool. So, anything else you want to say about uh, mystery booster before we move on? No, it's it's just weird, and we'll uh, we'll give it some more time, I think. Mystery boosters weren't the only thing that happened this weekend in Richmond. <laughs> they were not. <laughs> they were not. No, there was also a Mythic Championship. Yes, there was. So that is Mythic Championship six, or oh, Mythic Championship Oko, I guess, as it's more aptly named 
yeah, I guess if we're if you're talking anything magic related, you're still going to talk about Oko. Yeah. Um, that card was really dominant. Please ban it. Oh my god, I'm bored. Yeah. Of Oko. Absolutely. So out of the. Well, if we, so I, I guess I guess we'll start on on the Friday. Really, there were like sixty nine percent of the field were Oko decks. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. <laughs> um, yeah, the, looking at those stats from like day one. I mean, looking at the stats throughout the entire weekend were just so depressing. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not an event. So I usually watch a lot of the a lot of the mythic championships mm-hmm. uh, i'm always i'm always interested in you know following my favorite players and you know watching some some really cool high level magic but yeah i i had just zero interest in watching watching this and and i know like even the the casters and, and commentators had said that oh we're we're gonna we are going to try and curate the the feature matches a bit. We're obviously we're very well well aware of how many Oko mirrors there there are going to be, but we're going to try and get different decks on camera. And even with that, I just I wasn't interested in watching it at all. It's very clear that there's there's one deck or, or one one archetype you should be playing in standard currently, and it's just not one that I'm interested in. Yeah, it's like they're looking at the stats of like the top seven played cards in, in the in the tournament, and the top seven cards were just the Oko deck. Like yeah. the most played card was. Um, once upon a time, right? Uh, yes, yeah. Followed by Veil of Summer, and then it was just like the Oko deck and Gilded Geese yeah. and what have you, which is just <sighs> not good. And I mean, like Wizards are aware of it, or at least whoever curates the Magic Twitter is aware of it because they were tweeting elk memes all weekend. Yep. <laughs> so uh, the the ban's got to happen. I don't think there's much point putting a lot of conversation into it because, like, it was medium. Andre Skrasky won, very deservedly yep. so. The top eight was six Oko decks and two other decks that were also playing Veil of Summer. Yes, it was six Oko decks. Well, so it was three Sultai food decks, three Simic food decks, one Golgari adventure deck, and one Selesnia adventure deck. Yeah, sure. In the hands of incredibly talented players who probably made the wrong call on their deck choice, but are just very good, so got there anyway. Yeah. Um, watching it was... I didn't watch much of it, but it was very boring. <laughs> um you know, they tried to liven it up as much as they could, but there's only so many... You're, just, you're watching the other matches as well and just being like, this isn't what the format is. It doesn't feel like the best the Magic can be in this certain format. Um, yeah, there, are a couple of, there are a couple of sweet games, like between Gruul Agro and Celestia tokens and stuff like that were really fun to watch, and like hopefully that's how the format like turns out after we actually do Banoko. Because like, yeah. there's no doubt in my mind that it just gets banned. All of the other discussion aside, that card should just get banned. And yeah, I, 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 I think, think it, it just be. has to. Yeah, it just it just does. There's there's no there's no way standard continues with another month or so of this, or five weeks or however long it is between the ban announcements. Like, so we'll just have to wait for that to happen. Hopefully, standard will be better after that. I think Veil of Summer should also be banned. I think Once Upon a Time is also a consideration. I think green is far too good because even the even the, the decks that were doing well that weren't oko decks were all green anyway yeah green is absurd veil of summer was as much a mistake as oko um yeah that's pretty much all i have to say about the actual tournament yeah i, I think i pretty much just agree with you on on all on just all of that to be honest yeah i so i i think there's i think there's like there's something to be said for watching Oko Mera's at high level play, and I think sometimes there can be some in, some very interesting games. Not necessarily, you know, good games, but but definitely interesting games. But even then, I I have no desire to to watch them myself because we all know that something in the deck is going to get banned asap. And like personally, I don't own any of the cards in the deck and if nothing in the, in the deck does get banned for whatever reason then you just know that this deck is the best deck to play and i'm not looking to shell out six hundred dollars for an oko deck currently yeah there's, there's no point in doing that there's absolutely no point which it's kind of concerning say there's a small possibility that it doesn't get banned for whatever reason despite the overwhelming evidence and that being the correct decision the price on that card is going to go bananas but then again it's still like even if it doesn't get banned it'll get banned it's going to get banned at some point yeah whether that's is it next week the next announcement eighteenth eighteenth yeah yeah uh, whether that's next week or whether that's in two three months time because they don't want to ban the most current set then it's going to get banned at some point so the price is going to drop but um, yeah it's just it, it needs to get banned 
it ruined the tournament. It's ruining standard. It's ruining every format. Same things we say every week. Yeah, I, yeah like I think that's that's all. All I have to say. The really, more about. things change, the more they think, the more they stay the same. Exactly. But yeah, honestly, I do. Th- it might. I guess there's no there's no you know hot score like scorching takes in in that discussion whatsoever. But it's just it's still true. We're going to have to keep talking about it until it stops being true. Yeah. Um, but I think my take is that also Veil of Summer should get banned, probably, because it's as much of a mistake as Oko is. That card's absurd. Yeah, Veil of, Veil of Summer's an interesting one. I I don't know if I would ban it, but I I definitely agree that it just shouldn't have been printed. It just makes green decks too good. It makes every other kind of deck just uh, kind of unnecessary. It's also ruined Legacy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's more of a problem in other formats than Standard, quite possibly you know current metagame problems aside but i i think i think i'm very much of the mindset that i would rather it just hadn't been printed than just ban it now it is here i i don't know it's i definitely agree that it's a problem though so yeah i think that's all i want to say about the actual tournament itself it was fine it happened it, it happened it's it's. I mean, there's going to be a result there written in the history books, but I don't think anybody's going to ever care about it. No, I mean, uh, Andrei Strasky is now out of retirement, I guess, <laughs> in terms of yeah. magic. That's, that's cool. He did very well. Congratulations to him. It's a shame that his win is overshadowed by one of the worst standard formats of all time. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Cool. So, yeah, there is, before we move on to something else, there is obviously... Uh, a sizable elephant in the room about some other controversy that came from the Mythic Championship. Yeah, absolutely. Which would be specifically the basic lands in Orton Bachet's deck. That was a trip. That was a whole thing that ruined social media for like 48 hours. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. In Orton's deck, they were playing uh, at least two Guru lands, which are obviously illustrated by Therese Nielsen. Um... And on those lands, they had written uh, trans rights, human rights, and no turf, some gruel turf. Yeah. Which is good. I don't, I don't know if they'd written them or it was someone else. Um, but that was written on those lands. And Therese Nielsen's name as the illustrator had been crossed out. And they were told at some point on the Friday, I think, or the Saturday. I can't remember when it actually was. Uh, I think I think it was it was the Friday. It was the first day, yeah. Yeah, they were told, their, their tweet says, I was instructed by tournament officials to re- remove these to face Therese Nielsen lands from my deck. I imagine this is to do with coverage. I would assume so, yeah. Um, they were told to remove these lands and replace them. And then they later qualified that it was, uh, they said, to be clear, there was a wizard's decision and not anything to do with the judges. Which is good because I think a lot of people took that and were like, oh, judges, and started being, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Horrible people for no reason. Um, um, yeah, they, they, they were told to take these lands out of their deck. And a whole load of stuff started happening. People discussing things and talking about it. And in the general consensus is that that's ridiculous. And they shouldn't have had to take those lands out of their deck. Because those should not be controversial statements that were written on their lands. And also, Therese Nielsen is awful. And not a good person. And defacing her lands is a good statement to make, I feel. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So this was going on in loads of Facebook groups all over Twitter, and uh, some of the worst Magic players came out and just started spouting off and being horrible bastards. There's a lot of really unpleasant, upsetting, unfortunate takes being made by people. It's like, oh, you shouldn't be talking about this, stop talking about it, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, they're defaced cards, and like, <sighs> whatever. Like, sure, there's some writing on cards, but I have loads of signed cards, people have altered cards. Cards, like, cards with stuff on them that aren't the magic card are at the discretion of the head judge and are normally fine, especially if it's just writing on it. You can still see clearly see that they're specifically a forest and an island. Um, they're not altered in a way that would alter their thickness or be able to find them in a deck. This yep. was a, a TO decision or a wizard's decision, not a judge decision. So there was all of that discourse, which was stupid. And then it just became clear that someone wasn't, was either not happy with what had been written on the land specifically in terms of supporting trans rights or there was a problem with Therese Nielsen's name specifically being crossed out on the card. Yeah. And I can understand, I can understand why someone would not want to have that. If you're wizards and you're broadcasting this and you have on a feature match, 
this happening and maybe people aren't aware with the situation, it's going to cause a lot of problems, then I understand why you'd want to do this. Yeah, I. so I think it is, it, I think it, it's it's quite clearly uh, because of because Teresa's name name is on it's been crossed out and it was on art that Teresa's done and I reckon see Wizards of the Coast oh if those lands that lands are shown on camera then Wizards of the Coast could be worried about any kind of sort of legal challenge from Teresa Nielsen towards them because um, it could it's one of those things where I feel like like a lawyer could easily angle shoot that. Um, that something slanderous was being broadcast on an official Wizards of the Coast platform uh, about a, an artist who they currently have contractual obligations with. Yes. Uh, I could see how this could be skewed as defamation, everything like that. So I understand it from yeah. that point of view. It was very sketchy at the time because no one from Wizards... And it, again, it's a difficult situation to comment on, but like no one from Wizards made a statement. And I believe at the time in the Twitch chat, people were spamming trans rights are human rights and those were being muted by certain people yes. certain mods in the chat which is also heinous um that doesn't make it look better <laughs> yeah, like no, fully agree yeah. start don't mute people saying that because it looks like you disagree with it and if it looks like you disagree with it you're going to have a whole lot of trouble so that all happened and then people obviously rallied behind autumn with solidarity and started writing on their own lands started defacing their own lands um putting that stuff on it so i like i personally have a lot of Teresa Nelson cards that I've drawn a load of stuff on um, because I don't I'm not able to play a different version of that card so I have to use her art so I just deface it, you know yep. a lot of people doing that and then the next day, Autumn posted uh, a set of different lands like uh, an Amonkhet one, uh, an Unstable one, an Unhinged one whatever, loads of different lands with the same things written on them that were not illustrated by Teresa Nelson therefore obviously didn't have Teresa Nelson's name crossed out and they'd been okayed um, by the TO yeah. to have in their deck. So that's fine. So we kind of clarify, it's still kind of sketchy that they didn't make a statement um, or say anything remotely about it, but they were okay to have, you know, trans rights written on their basic lands, which is yeah. great. Um, the problem mainly came from a bunch of people being assholes about it and saying some very horrible things, saying some transphobic things or saying the sort of like, centrist white liberal stuff of being like oh we shouldn't bring politics into this game and stuff like that which is uh crap and if you think that then please don't listen to this podcast but like i i, I understand that point to a certain like i understand that that opinion to a certain point but it's like these things have to be political because you know lots of horrible things still go on in magic communities in the greater world these conversations still need to happen these points still need to be made there's still a lot of misogyny and transphobia and homophobia and ableism and racism in magic. So these things are, are in, in, like an inherent part of the game. And just because some cis white dude doesn't think that it's a problem doesn't mean it's not a problem. Yeah, I'm going to say this till I'm blue in the face <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, uh, and it shouldn't have to be political, but unfortunately it, these things are political because, I mean, trans people don't make their lives political. Um, people of colour don't make their lives political, but they are made political by... The society we live in, the fact that, you know, they get murdered or assaulted or, you know, just generally have a harder time in life, their lives become political. Uh, Ross Merriam made a good tweet about it. Yeah. Saying that the discourse over whether or not trans rights or human rights is or isn't political is a non-starter because cis and trans are fundamentally political categories. Same with het, homo, bi, pan or black and white. The fundamental dynamic of play isn't biology but political power. And I think that's the... That's the point. Like the, these things, these protected, protected characteristics, these like aspects of marginalised groups are inherently political because that's how they exist in in our world, yeah, um, and in society in general. That's the problem because you had a load of people saying, "Oh, keep politics out of the game. They shouldn't be political, whatever." And you had a bunch of other people who were on absolutely on the right side, um, defending this, saying, "Oh, but it's not political." And like, you're right. But like I understand why do you not like I understand that that point. Like these people's lives aren't political; they're just trying to exist and trying to play magic and you know whatever. And that's completely correct. But their lives unfortunately are political because they've been made political by by the world we live in, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And then there was also just a bunch of people just being straight up transphobic, and uh, those people can go away. Yeah, strong agree. Strong agree. 
no place for any kind of transphobia and magic or anywhere in life at all. Absolutely not. Um, again, if you think like that, please stop listening to this podcast immediately. I mean, this thing, like, I feel like I always go on about this sort of stuff because, you know, I personally identify as non-binary, so it's, like, kind of personal to me. But also, if you've got bigotry, just fuck off. <laughs> there's no there's no place for that in magic. Or it, it just fuck off. Don't listen to the podcast if you have any problem with anything that we discuss in that in, in those terms. I think that's roughly it. There's a bit of a ramble. I'm sure I can edit that into some kind of semblance of reasonable discourse, but... Yeah, I'm it, sure you can. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> if I can turn last week's podcast into a listenable podcast, Jesus, I can do anything. Yeah, at least we're, we're not waiting for lunch this week like we did last week. We do have a uh, banned and restricted announcement for Pioneer again today. That's not something that we, uh, what we have yet. Uh, we figured what we can do, we can we can take a guess at, at what that announcement might say and then just, just see how foolish we look on, on uh, Wednesday when this podcast goes out and everybody knows what the result is. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to say I think the cards that are going to be banned, I think probably one card and I think it'll be Nick Thrust trying to mix. Sure. That's my current call because they haven't nerfed the Devotion deck enough. Uh, Todd Anderson won the PTQ on Magic Online yes. with that deck. Uh, I have played against that deck quite a lot in the past few days since the banning, and it is still absurd, and a lot of the draws feel completely unbeatable. And Nykthos is the problem. So that's my take, I think. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think Nykthos probably should just go uh, at this point. Uh, I I think I might go for a different card, so one which we saw uh, quite a few copies in the, the PTQ. We, we've seen it post quite a few copies in the in the challenges as well and i think if i'm going to call a card i'm going to call a different card to you uh so this time i'm going to go with smuggler's copter a previously banned card yeah we've just seen so many so many decks that are running play sets of smuggler's copters and while i don't necessarily think that they're the best decks in the format i think it's starting to get to that place again like it wasn't standard where every deck that can run a place at a smuggler's copter is just running a place at a smuggler's copter and I don't know how great that's going to be for deck diversity. No, I enjoyed that when this format was first announced, when people were first brewing and discussing potential card choices and what have you, people were like, ah, oh, Smuggler's Cop is probably not good enough. <laughs> and then it takes one band cycle, and that card's probably a little bit too good, or a little yeah. bit too ubiquitous in the format, at least. Yeah, I just think a lot of the a lot of the decks that are playing it as well, um, like the, you know, so, so typically, like, there is or there's meant to be some sort of downside to you discarding cards from Smuggler's Copter, or at the very least you, you're just, you know, you're going to discard a land and you're going to you're gonna draw, like, a playable card. The, there's just a bit of a problem in a format that plays Deathrite Shaman, that plays Delve Spells, you know, you dig through time, your treasure crews. Like, when you're drawing a card from Smuggler's Copter and also making treasure crews or dig through time one cheaper, again, I, th- I think that is just a bit too much of a problem. Yep, yeah, and you can also just start smacking them in the air for three from turn three. Yeah, which is also like relevant. Like it also adds to putting your things in your in your graveyard to reanimate, putting things in your graveyard to make Emrakul cheaper. There's yeah, so many so many things that Smuggler's Copter helps enable, and I think it would probably just be a better format if it goes. Yeah, I think it's a similar thing to like the removal in this format not being as great as we are used to. Yeah, and it being kind of hard, not hard to, but like given the how the metagame looks, being like more taxing to be able to remove that card than different threats. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable take. It, it's certainly like putting up a lot of results and showing up a lot of 5-0 lists and in the challenges and, and what have you. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, yeah, but I think I, I'm still going to choose Nykthos because I think it's a little bit too good. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if it's not to me, they both get the hit, but I, I just figured I'd pick a different card to you. Yeah, sure. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> for for drama and podcasting purposes. Um, yeah. Sure, makes sense. Um, right, one more thing before we get out of here, because there was a lot of things to discuss this week. Uh, it was recently announced that uh, Star City Games on their their open series and their tours would stop supporting the Legacy format. Oh no, Legacy is dead. Yeah, which has led to a lot of discussion. Legacy's not dead, that's no reaction and ridiculous. Uh, it's dead for people that play in the SUG tour, and that is that is a real, you know situation for those people who enjoyed playing legacy yeah. in the opens and what have you 
that sucks. And like, there's less access to legacy in the States, I guess, now, because, or at least for the people that went, that were able to get to SCG events, you can't play legacy there anymore, because it's essentially been usurped by, well, I guess it's technically been usurped by modern, because Pioneer has now yeah. usurped modern, so modern's therefore taken over legacy as the eternal format. And obviously, as we all suspected, the team formats are going to become uh, standard Pioneer modern as opposed to standard modern legacy. Um, which is, you know, we all thought that was going to happen. It's yeah. the natural progression of the game. Uh, and I think it's a good decision by SCG in terms of their tournaments because Legacy is difficult to get into. It's difficult to find a Legacy player for your teams if you have a team event. Like, their Legacy events were getting much lower attendance than Modern and Standard because Legacy cards are expensive and hard to find. So the format wasn't doing well for them, and Pioneer's at an all-time high, and loads of people want to play it, so they're going to put that on the on the, on the open, so that, that's, that makes perfect sense. Uh, a lot of people will... The problem is become like, people will be like... Oh, we, so there's a, a camp of people that are saying Legacy's dead, and there's a camp of people saying, Legacy's not dead, you're stupid, there's still there's a tournament, I never played in an SCG Open, I'm still going to play Legacy. Like, sure, Legacy will still be played. I mean, it's the, in the same way that Vintage and Old School are still played, right? There's There's been no real support for those formats ever if not in several years yeah like eternal weekend still exists mm-hmm, absolutely right? you still have places to play legacy at high event big tournaments yeah but nowhere near as much as you did and i think the, pro- the problem is so obviously like them stopping supporting legacy uh star City games doesn't directly affect people in europe or perhaps the people that were playing legacy outside of those events anyway yeah. you're know, going to the weekend but there is Le- legacy is going to dwindle slightly like it's not dead by any means, and like, but I was just kind of getting sick of the argument. Like, well, I play Legacy at GPs, and I play Legacy at my FNM or at these tournaments that get put on. So Legacy's not going to die. I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. Like your Legacy scene isn't going to die, but there are no GPs that are Legacy, right? In the ones that have been none that's been announced yeah. yet. No. Um. So there are no big there are no big Legacy tournaments, apart from Eternal Weekend. Um, which means that. Loads of pros, especially ones that arrive at Star City Games or people that play in it, play in the states that go to SCG events, uh, are much now much less incentivized to create legacy content. Because why would they bother? Because it's not a format they should bother playing anymore. Yeah, and it wasn't a huge part of what was on SCG, but you could go onto SCG every week and see a couple of articles about legacy or like people that are on that, that regularly play in the SCG opens. They would make legacy content, talk about legacy, film videos about legacy and stuff like that, and that's going to decrease now because there's no point in playing that format. If you're a, if you're a grinder on the SCG tour, you're not going to care about legacy anymore. Maybe it's a format you play f- for fun, and you, maybe there's a couple of like smaller tournaments you get to play in. But in terms of your attention, Pioneer now fills that slot. Any attention you were giving to legacy is now filled by Pioneer. So generally, the like the amount of content in the world is going to go down for legacy, which means there are. There's less discussion about the format, generally. There's less eyes on the yeah. format, and there's a slower growth. It will affect how much Legacy is played, how many people get into Legacy. How m- like, Because I got into Legacy because I watched people play it uh, on the SCG Tour. And I watched it being played. I was like, I want to get into the format, but now that's not going to happen. There's no coverage for Legacy events. Less people are going to see it. Less content's being created. Legacy's going to take a hit because of it. No, Legacy's not dead, but it's certainly in a worse place than it was like a week ago before this announcement. I just wanted to get that in there before before we ended the podcast. <laughs> yeah, of course. Stop shouting that Legacy's not dead because it's in a worse place than it was. And just because you still play Legacy doesn't mean that everyone's still going to play Legacy. I I still do do think a lot of people will still. Yeah, I'm going to play Legacy all the time. Legacy though, I play Legacy yeah. every week, all the time, and that what my yeah. my personal LGS has a really good scene. But there are going to be less innovations. The format's going to be slower, like in terms of development. There's going to be less people caring about the format. Like it's certainly a factor because SCG were driving a lot of the market for Legacy because they were putting on events and talking about it. But now they're not, and I'm sure Andrea Mangucci will still make loads of videos. I'm sure Pleasant Kenobi will still make loads of videos, and I'm sure those should be discussed. Yeah, about like it. just because Star City aren't running Legacy events anymore doesn't mean Cyrus Common Guild isn't going to play Storm and Magic Online leagues. Absolutely, but he'll be less incentivized. Like because there's less opportunities to play it. Globally, there are less opportunities to play it, so there's less point in caring about Legacy. Not for us, but for the people that the content we consume, and the content that would potentially be consumed by possible new Legacy players. There's less opportunities to care about Legacy. Potentially. Or, or you know, it maybe, maybe it creates new opportunity. Maybe 
you know, a whole wave of people have this pessimistic view that, oh, it's dead now, there's no point in me playing it now, I'm going to sell all of my cards. A lot more cards enter the marketplace, prices come down. I mean, reserveless prices are collapsing drastically anyway at the moment. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe it does just create more room for more people to jump in once some of these cards come down in price. Oh yeah, yeah. Like this is the thing. I'm not like doom and gloom about like the state of legacy, but like I, I, I conversely also think that it's a great time to be buying legacy cards. Yeah, definitely. I, I think over over the next three months, absolutely. Yeah, because prices are on the downturn. Because whether you like it or not, SCG's pricing influences the entire market, right? It shouldn't, because yeah. you should find better ways of pricing well, your cards, especially if you live in Europe. But SCG, their prices are going to go down because there's less demand for them. They're selling less copies, so their prices go down. Prices of cards go down. Like this, Again, like you said, people are selling off their cards, maybe. So more jewel lands are on the market than there were a week ago. So now is, I still think now is a good time to be getting into Legacy and buying Legacy. I'm just saying there's less people that will be inspired to do so because there's less content. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, but go, go buy jewel lands. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that statement. I mean, maybe not because it's getting close to Christmas, but <laughs> maybe after Christmas. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's one of the factors to why so many people are, to why they're so cheap. Like people are selling them because it's Christmas, and they need some extra cash. There's, mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's people who are holding lots of reserveless cards that are dumping out. There's, there's a lot. I, I could have, I mean, I could spend a whole hour talking about the current reserveless crash, but I, I think that was a good. I mean, over the next. Say three to five months is probably when you should be looking at buying some of these older older reserveless cards if that's that's something that you're interested in. Yeah, sweet, cool. Oh, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to. I know the podcast is maybe going a little bit long now, but I just wanted to get that in there before we get out because it's something that I've also been thinking about this week. Sweet. So that's pretty much all we have time for this week. Uh, if you want to get in touch with your thoughts about mystery about. Uh, the Mythic Championship. Tell us how much you hate Oko. Get <laughs> at us on social media. You can hit us up on Twitter. We are at HFDcast on Twitter. Facebook.com slash HFDcast. Or you can also check us out on Patreon. We're patreon.com slash Devastation. If you enjoy any of the content that we put out and you want to give anything back at all, uh, tiers start from as little as $1 per month. It's roughly 20 to 25 cents per episode. Or the best thing you can do is just just give us a like on, on social media give us a share tell a friend awesome ways you can support the podcast for free absolutely you can find the podcast on soundcloud and itunes and spotify and youtube if you would like to leave us a review or a rating or anything on that uh, on one of those platforms that would be great i have noticed that our listens per week have gone up since we've been on spotify so that's good yeah so if you're listening to it on spotify give a review on spotify because that really helps and also, thank you it means a lot so if you want to get at me on my own personal social media on Twitter, I am Peach Garden Oath. That's Oath of an F. Or Facebook, I am Joe Loudon. You'll find me pretty much in any of the magic groups. Currently talking about revised jewels. Or you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Peach Garden Oath. The same as my Twitter. I go live most Tuesdays at 8pm. Um, sometimes on a weekend as well. Yeah, if you would like to find me on social media and maybe for some reason tell me how much you'd love to read Snailson, you can find me on Twitter at snail69. Nice. Thank you. Awesome. So that is all we have time for this week. Once again, we are approaching the second hour. The God Pharaoh has returned, so we'll see you again next week on Arrow Devastation. Oh.